Hey, it's Kenny. It's August 2nd, 2017. Welcome to my first episode. And again, first time ever doing something like this. And today we're going to be speaking with Joseph Wise. And our topic is going to be about God, wrestling, and bartending. Stay tuned to find out why. Wise, how you doing? Doing well, Kenny. How about yourself? Thanks for having me on. Hey, no problem. Thanks for joining me in this first episode. I'm not sure if you call it a podcast or what it is, because since it's on Anchor. But uh, so, how you doing, man? So far, so good. I woke up alive today. I did something right yesterday. Well, enjoying that hundred degree heat back in California. Oh yeah, I'm enjoying it just fine within the confines of my uh, air-conditioned house. It was 105 today with zero humidity, and it feels like you're standing beneath a magnifying glass with the light shining through. But uh, we're surviving just fine, and hopefully within the next month or two, it'll cool down. Nice, nice. Well, the reason I have this guy on, Joseph Wise, is that we've known each other for, what, what, two years now, I think? Yeah, just just about, I think, but I feel like I've known you all my life. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, I mean, same here, but uh, we've met uh, working with Shalom and on some yeah. product Shalom World, which is a cat media ministry, and I was a producer, and I guess you're considered what a sound, um, sound tech, or... Yeah, I was uh, originally brought on as a volunteer voice actor, but as uh, the officials at Shalom World got to know me better and better, uh, they hired me on as a program coordinator, so uh, on top of doing uh, voiceovers for their various commercials and uh, documentaries, I also have the responsibility of putting out calls to potential resources who want to be part of our various television shows and make connections and get Shalom's name out there. Nice, nice. So the reason why I'm calling this episode God Wrestling and Bartending, the God part, is, um, actually, me and Joseph's wives are both Catholic, practicing Catholic. And, yes, we are. So, why, why did you choose to work at or to volunteer at Shalom? You know, it's an incredible story, actually, Kenny. And I sometimes I, when I reminisce on it, I think it absolutely, absolutely sounds like the stuff of fiction. But um, prior to yes. uh, joining up with Shalom, uh, gosh, I think it was uh, uh, late 2015. Uh, the year previous, throughout 2014, uh, uh, and even the year previous before that, 2013, my grandmother passed away, and when her estate sold, I got some of the inheritance from the estate. So I found myself with a lot of money. Um, I was still doing my uh, schoolwork at Southern New Hampshire University, and I decided to sit down and really think about what did I want to do uh, with my life. You know, I wanted to find some way to, you know, serve God in my own way. And I had always been a big fan of video games, Japanese animation, anime. And I thought, well, why not become a voice actor? That sounds like fun. So at the, uh, sure, the inheritance that sold from my grandmother's estate, I traveled all throughout 2014 between Sacramento and Los Angeles and took voice acting classes from the best voice actors in the industry, uh, most in particular Crispin Freeman and Tony Oliver. And by the mm -hmm. end of 2014, two things happened. I ran out of money, and I figured, found out right quick that getting into the voice acting industry in Los Angeles is no walk in the park. And just 
being a kind of a dead end pretty much, I figured, okay, well, I have this training. I'm not good enough to make it in the industry yet. What do I do now? Mm -hmm. So turning to God, I went to daily mass every day. And at the start of every mass, I said, God, give me an opportunity to use everything I learned for your greater honor and glory. And I figured, you know, this is a stupid prayer. How on earth would voice acting <laughs> ever align with the will of God? But strangely enough, at uh -huh. the end of one mass, this woman came up to me, just straight out of nowhere, and I saw her running towards me. I'm like, oh no, she wants something, I can tell. And she knelt down next to me and said, young man, I saw you kneeling before receiving the Eucharist. It was very reverent. How would you like to work for God? I'm like, oh, uh, uh, um, who are you? And she pulled out a business card and said, I'm with Shalom Media. We're a multimedia Catholic apostolate. I'm like, oh, okay, yes, sure. I'm, I'm a voice actor. Uh, how can I help? And um, yep. uh, through this woman, I got connected to Shalom. By late 2015, I got brought on as a volunteer voice actor. And then by, gosh, December of that same year, I got hired on as a program coordinator after they got to know a little bit about me. And I worked for them all the way till January 2017. Nice. That's an awesome story. Now, on your journey through this, um, what was the biggest challenges working in L.A. as a voice actor? Well, you know, the biggest challenge was that, or I think the biggest heartache was that I couldn't work in Los Angeles because I was brand new, thought I knew everything about voice acting, but as it turned out, as I went to more and more classes, I found out just how much I actually didn't know and how much, how many misconceptions I had about the voice acting industry, and it's very hard to get in. Uh, people who are making mm -hmm. some serious strides, I have a lot of friends now who I met at voice acting workshops who have gone on now to voice lots of video games and even some anime, they're all living mouth to hand because uh, when you start off very early on, you don't make a lot of money and there's plenty of nights where you go hungry. And the biggest upset for me was that, uh, you know, I was putting in the time, but I just wasn't quite getting it. Everyone else had a, a background in doing school plays and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, to some degree had been working the theater scene. Me, I just came in as an enthusiast, so trying to learn as much as I could, but you could blatantly tell if I were to play like audio right now, who was the trained professional growing up and who was the new guy. But um, <laughs> there, was one thing, there was one thing I was always good at doing, which was sounding sincere and being myself. But when I'm trying to sound sincere mm -hmm. and myself, but I'm putting it into a character who's like a warrior or even some extreme cases a drug dealer, I just couldn't quite get myself into that character. It was a very creepy experience. And uh, mm -hmm. all my instructors, every single one of them, all say, you have a great voice, you have good instincts, but you're having trouble getting into character. What's wrong? And the problem mm -hmm. was is I didn't like a lot of characters I was getting into because a lot of the storylines were, you know, had to deal with a lot of things that I just couldn't stand for. A lot of stories also especially were right. heavily anti-Catholic, and I just couldn't get into it. So the biggest mm -hmm. challenge was not being able to get into character for someone who I can't respect and a storyline that's going to do more harm than good for society. And that was the biggest problem. I felt I had to compromise my faith so, to be a good actor. You can say maybe God gave you a good sense of, you know, this was going to protect you from these types of roles and um, my scenes. Oh, well, one thing that God has always given me, and I thank him constantly for it, is a paper-thin conscience. So I'm always very, very very much aware when something I'm about to do is either going to be, you know, giving him glory or completely slapping him in the face. 
And I know a lot of voice actors who are Christian and some of them are Catholic who have no problem getting into these roles, but I just can't. I just mm-hmm. focus on who's going to be watching this, who's going to be listening to this, who's going to be playing this, and what are they going to take yeah. away from it. And in general, it's not very good. The, the story writing that, that goes is- into most... Yeah, go for it. No, that's, that's a good way to look at it. And I think the overall goal of, of art and you know, audio recording is to um, bring in beauty into the world and kind of up, uplift our senses, and especially the auditory. And I think um, I think your your sense was right to kind of avoid these types of things if they're not glorifying beauty in the world. Um, I think you're, you know, you made the right choices there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's a that's a beautiful beautiful quote because I believe it was Pope John Paul II who said, "Beauty will save the world." And mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of times people confuse. Uh, lust and violence for beauty, which it blatantly yep. isn't. And you know, if there's if there's no if there's not an everlasting destiny tied to what you do, then what you're doing is worthless. And that's what I felt I was doing exactly. in Los Angeles. Exactly. So to continue on the God part of the episode, um, talk about a little about your um, discernment uh, with the priesthood. Yes, you know, ever since I was little, um, I, I always thank my good mom and dad for uh, being devoutly Catholic because it was through their love of Catholicism that my own love of Catholicism grew. And I was very fortunate to be a parishioner at uh, Our Lady of Peace over in Santa Clara. Um, this was way before they even built Levi's Stadium. And, very, you know, if anyone knew Santa Clara, it was because of the high-tech companies there. Mm-hmm. But they always had yep. the most devout priests there. And from a very young age, I thought, wow, you know what? I think I want to be a Catholic priest. And if I'm honest, I've been discerning the priesthood my entire life, but it wasn't until recently that I decided to take it very seriously, especially after I got uh, started working for Shalom. I figured, well, I'm already working for a Catholic apostolate, and we work in media, so what's stopping me from priesthood now? So um, I decided, okay, why not we try taking a look for a religious order because I wasn't quite yet interested in diocesan life just yet, and so our discernment process, and I did, and I discerned for, I believe it was six or eight months with uh, the Oblates of St. Joseph, but strangely enough, at the end of the discernment period, uh, mm-hmm. I found out from my vocations director that uh, they said, sorry, but you're just not a good fit for this order, and this doesn't mean that you don't have a vocation in the priesthood, but you know, in the most polite sense of the terms, you ain't welcome here no more. So it's like, <laughs> oh, no. And, you know, anyone who is Catholic and has discerned the priesthood knows that when you discern with a community, it's kind of like dating. You know, you get to know each other, yep. decide if this is good for you, then go for it. But when you get put down, right, man, exactly. oh, it's the worst thing in the world. I was so upset. But that's their right to do that, and, you know, if what I can bring to the table with my own spirituality and, quite frankly, probably my own personality doesn't match up, then obviously I don't belong there. So I decided exactly. to take Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, so I decided to take a timeout, let everything settle, and now I'm actually considering uh, discerning with the diocese, um, possibly Sacramento, maybe Oakland. But okay. um, I feel that it is perhaps in my future. In fact, I would probably go as far as to say it is my destiny that I will eventually be a Catholic priest. But in the meantime, I'm just adding to my wealth of human character whenever I can, keeping my prayer life up to, up to par, 
and whatever God wants of me, I'll do my best to make it happen. And it's good you're discerning by doing. You know, I, I see a lot of people, you know, they'll discern religious life for 10 years, but then you ask them, hey, did you join, you know, did you check out a religious order or a diocesan, you know, uh, seminary? They're like, no, I'm still discerning. Well, I mean, so I think it's very healthy and it's kind of refreshing to hear you actually go out and doing it and, and not being afraid to fail at times. And I can relate, you know, I was rejected by a religious order. And I, you know, I know how exactly how it feels. It, it feels like breaking up with a girlfriend or, or a girl dumping you. Um, yep. It's all the same feeling. But yeah. um, so, so while discerning religious life during this process right now, you also got into uh, the wrestling. So what's the story about that? <laughs> okay. Well, this, this is the funny part. You know, there's even with um, uh, my desire to be a voice actor and a performer um, going in such a way where I know that I'll never work in uh, Hollywood or Los Angeles because, quite, quite frankly, I can't. I still wanted to do some sort of performing art to kind of, you know, it's, it's my enjoyment. I would say it's more than a hobby, but um, I just really wanted to go for something. I had been uh, training in martial arts for six years, and I had gotten to a point where I got high enough uh, into my black belt where they said, you know, if you want to start competing in MMA, all you have to do is talk to this guy and start matchmaking. I'm like, oh, MMA, yeah, sure. But yeah. the problem was is that I never quite I, I never quite liked the crowd that usually hanged around the MMA or kind of the UFC scene because mm-hmm. we're taking everything that we learn as martial artists and we, you know, I'm going to catch a lot of hell for this, but um, we basically become <laughs> professional thugs. And I didn't right. like right. what we were doing. All the philosophy that we had learned on never fight unless, if, you know, unless if it's unavoidable, all that gets thrown out the window. And even now you can see, you know, like uh, Mayweather and, uh, and Connor uh, McGregor going at it. And it's like, these guys aren't martial artists. This is just totally disrespectful. Yeah, yeah it, sounds like, still... it sounds like Cobra Con, you know. Yeah, like exactly. <laughs> oh, totally, totally. And I never... I always thought that that was just such a shame because we teach this, but then when it's time to make money off of it, it goes in a completely different direction. So I decided, okay, well, I still want to do performing arts. I'm still doing some voice acting on the side here and there, but how can I marry these two? How can I get performing arts and kind of the physical athleticism and martial arts together? Uh And I've been listening to Chris Jericho's podcast, Chris Jericho being an all-time famous wrestler, and he would interview all these other wrestlers that I loved watching both now and when I was a kid. I'd always been kind of a kind of a fan of wrestling, and they would always talk about, yeah, I got trained up nearby my in my hometown with this guy at this gym. I'm like, local wrestling? So I started digging around, and I found a wrestling school that's also tied to a wrestling promotion called Virgil Flynn III Productions, and it's run by the namesake, Virgil Flynn III, and he's a very phenomenal wrestler. He's uh, even been on uh, Impact Wrestling um, a few times, and of course they changed their name recently. But I called him up and I said, "Hey, uh, I'd be kind of interested in the process." And he goes, "Okay, well, have you ever seen a wrestling show live?" I'm like, uh, "No, I haven't." And he goes, "You better take a look because it's way different than what you would see on TV. You yeah. better know what you're getting into. So take care of that. See me, and we'll figure out about uh, training." And this was uh, all the way before back. That, before yeah. that, who is your favorite wrestler? You know, and uh, whenever I say this, all the wrestling guys who are wrestling now roll their eyes. But growing up, I was always a huge fan of Bill Goldberg because he was <laughs> such a huge man. He was larger than life, you know, totally aggressive and all out there. 
barely spoke a word. He was totally a guy by the business. And if you got yeah, hit he, by he the spear, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you got hit by the spear and the jackhammer, it was all over. And to my horror, you know, <clears throat> a lot of wrestlers don't like him because he came in from a football background. He got trained up, <clears throat> pardon me, way too quickly. And he was known for having not practiced a whole lot of cardio. And being slightly undertrained and not being one for cardio, all of his matches had to be between like five minutes or ten minutes for a pay-per-view. So the way how they mm-hmm. sold him, which in the business when we say sell it, we mean make it look real, make the audience believe it, was they had to make him look like he was unbeatable. So like his right. matches were always over in a matter of seconds, minutes, if the opponent was stubborn. And, you know, if you look at that from behind the curtain, you go, ooh, this is not good. But from the audience perspective, Bill Goldberg was unbeatable. He was this giant of a man. He was this beast. Yep. And I absolutely oh, yeah. loved the character growing up. So what are you doing right now with wrestling? What's the status? Okay, my status is that I've been training since April. We're now in uh, the start of August. And uh, I ha- still have a little ways to go. We've done uh, bunk training, which is you learn how to, you know, if someone puts you in a suplex and slams you on your back, how do you <laughs> land so you don't kill yourself, you know, that sort of thing. But um, in the meantime, whenever necessary, I will also referee matches. And that's usually how guys who are getting trained up go through the process. They'll be uh, in the training, then they'll be training and refereeing whenever need be. And whenever pretty much Virgil thinks uh, we're ready, then we debut. And then from there, it's whatever you can do for yourself. Nice. So I'm looking. Well, what I'll do is do a follow-up episode with you as far as your status and what's going on with your wrestling career. Um, but uh, let's move over to the the bartending part. Um, so yeah, man. How did you get into bartending? How, how did it go from God wrestling now bartending? <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing is, is that. Uh, uh, you know, I, I've always followed wherever my heart feels like, you know, pretty much going. And I feel that, you know, God gives us desires for a specific reason. I got into bartending because uh, one of the main reasons how come I uh, had to quit Shalom was that my college studies were very much suffering. I hadn't been able to do a class in a full year. And I'm studying uh, creative writing and uh, military history at Southern New Hampshire University. And I really wanted to get that degree before anything else happens, before priesthood, before anything else of that nature. So I needed, I needed a job that I could pick up. And uh, I had worked before as a bakery deli clerk at Save Mart, and I hated it. You, you know, there's a strange spirit whenever you work with food. Everyone's hungry and never happy to see you. <laughs> so I'd always been interested in bartending as a young age, and I thought, okay, well, what about that? Instead of waiting tables, why not go just a tier higher and get a bartending yep. degree? So um, I got involved with uh, ABC Alcoholic Beverage Control. They have a college of bartending. I put in four mm-hmm. weeks and got a degree, and I found out from my bartending instructor, Sonny, that many bartenders actually do not have uh, a certified license that they've been trained. Many of them get trained on the spot, and by having a license, okay. you can actually get ahead. And I've oh, always nice. been kind of a fan of mixology. It's something I've always loved. Whenever people kind of look at me like, oh, you're Catholic and you drink, I remind them, hey, Jesus' first public miracle was turning water into wine, Bob. Don't judge me. <laughs> now, I have to ask you, what is your favorite drink? Ooh, it's a toss-up between two. Um, I have always loved Manhattan's, just kind of that classic cocktail, right? And I like it especially if it's made with Maker's Mark. 
But for my 21st birthday, I went to BJ's Brewhouse, and I asked the waitress, it's my 21st birthday. What's the strongest drink on the menu? And she whipped over the page, and it's like, well, a drink like that. I'm like, a drink like that? Yeah, that's what it's called. And it's an ounce and a half uh, vodka Grey Goose, half ounce Bacardi 151, green pucker, blue pucker, grenadine, sweet and sour, and 7-Up served over ice. And it is so good. You know, it's it's the perfect combination of smooth and strong, which I can really appreciate. Not so sweet that you drink mm-hmm. it quickly and not so strong that you can't drink it at all. So, so you're Catholic and you're getting into bartending. So what would you say to criticisms, you know, the people say, hey, you can't be Catholic and drink or be a bartender? Yeah, I can totally see that because I think when people think of bartenders, they might think of the crusty fellow behind the bar where everyone's getting drunk and wasted. And, you know, we're, we're basically like, like, and, like on the Simpsons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Moe's Tavern, right. You know, you just go out there yep. and you're, you're, you're their drug dealer. It's only legal. Right. But the reality is, is that bartending, you bartenders are actually not allowed to serve alcoholic beverages to someone who is obviously intoxicated. And if you do, and an alcoholic beverage control um, agent who's um, incognito in the bar sees that, you get fired. So bartenders, yes, we do serve substances that could, that some people might have a tendency to be addicted to, but we are also required under law to make sure that people aren't abusing it. Because if we do, then someone's going to have to pay for it. Exactly. Well, I appreciate hanging out with you, Joseph. It's been a while. I'm actually currently still in Florida performing tour duty with Air um, yeah, just uh, enjoying this nice non-human day. Um, but, uh, no, I appreciate you sitting with us. Uh, or, you know, hopefully it's, the audience is more than my mom. Um, and so, but I appreciate it. Actually, we went a lot longer than I thought we would, too. I was going for 15 minutes or over 20 minutes. Oh, so, darn it. That's I my fault, I'm sure. <laughs> Long-winded Joseph Wise. <laughs> oh, you know me. I appreciate it, Joseph. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Kenny, so thanks really so much, man. It. Yeah. Yep, and uh, yeah, thanks for everyone listening to the podcast or whatever you call it. It's on Anchor, so podcast. But until then, talk to you later. Hey, thanks. Hey, thanks again for listening to my first episode here on Anchor. Until then, take care.